Good morning. My name is Drew. I'm the associate pastor here, and we are excited that you are with us this morning. We are going to be continuing our four-week series on In Him is the title of it. And what we're doing here in this series is we are going through the first chapter of Ephesians. The reason we're going through the first chapter of Ephesians is we believe that in this, Paul, who is an apostle, which we'll get to here in a second, is giving us a picture of what it looks like in the kingdom of God. If you, didn't re- if you weren't here last week and didn't have a chance to listen to the sermon, I would encourage you, go back, listen to the podcast, go to our website, you can get the sermon there. But it's a really good foundational part. Because we're going through chapter 1, they build each week. So what I'll do right now is give you a little bit of a synopsis in case you weren't here, but would encourage you to go back and listen. Last week, Daniel talked about how God from the beginning has had a plan. God's plan and purpose, and we focused a little bit around that and this idea of what it looks like to be a part of that plan. This week, we're going to focus on the central figure in that plan being Jesus. It would encourage you to come back. Next week, we'll continue talking about Jesus, and then the fourth week, Daniel will talk about the Holy Spirit and how we are sealed with the Holy Spirit And through this, we get a great picture of the Trinity and how each one of their roles work in our lives as we follow after Jesus. Now, for a little bit of context, the book of Ephesians is, again, a letter written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote a lot of letters, and sometimes he wrote them to specific churches. And so in those, they would direct specific churches with specific specific meaning and purpose. Other times, he would just write general letters that he would go and they would pass them around from house church to house church. That's what the book or the letter of Ephesians is. This is a letter that was written to the region of Ephesus, which meant it was designed to be passed around from church to church. And the reason that he did this is because specifically in this letter, he addresses some issues. I'm going to use two churchy words here in just a second, but I'll explain them afterwards. He wants to make sure that as followers of Jesus, we have good orthodoxy and good orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is a word probably we're a little bit more familiar with, and this means that we have good teaching, that we have the information that we are taking in is correct, it's true, and it gives us a good picture of who God is. So we want to make sure that we have good orthodoxy. But if all we have is good information then it doesn't completely change our lives. We want to make sure that we have good orthopraxy, which means correct practice. So the way that we live as a follower of Jesus matters. And in this letter, Paul goes through and gives us good orthodoxy and good orthopraxy. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Today we will be in verses 7 through 10. If you didn't bring your Bible, the the words will be up here on the screen. Follow along with me. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, or that can be our sins, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all the wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. 
Now we read there in that short little passage, there is a lot of in him. Again, the reason for the title of the sermon series. And this is a phrase that Paul uses often. Depending on your translation, he uses this 160 times. Daniel pointed that out last week. 160 times through all of his letters, depending on your translation, Paul uses this word in him because he understands and sees that if we are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be followers of him, we got to make sure that we are living our lives through him, through him and in him. And we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. Now, the other thing, we talked about God having a, a plan. And the thing that I love about God's plan is it is told through the means of a story. Now, there are some of us that like a story. The stories are good for us. We can get lost in a story. We can see ourselves in them. We love different types of ways of engaging in a story. There are some of us that our gut reaction is, ah, I'd rather just have the bullet points. Just tell me what to do, when to do it, how to do it. I don't need all of the in-betweens. Just, uh, just give me the facts, right? Again, especially being in an engineering town, that's what we like. But I want, before we just assume that's how we like to consume information, let me point out all of the different ways that we consume stories now. So previous generations, you maybe had some stories that were consumed over a radio broadcast, or you had comic books, or maybe, again, there were books that you could read, and that was the way that you engaged with story. Now, everything around us, people are paid lots of money to create stories for us to consume. Let me give you a few examples. Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, Paramount+, Plus, YouTube, YouTube TV, and 9,000 other cable channels that we have now, and creators are going on and on creating stories for us to enjoy, because if we are honest with ourselves, we do love a good story. And God created the ultimate story. And that story includes me, and it includes you. We are a part of his plan to restore the world as he initially intended it to be. We are invited to be a part of his people, the people of God that started with Adam and Eve, with Noah, with Abraham and Sarah, with Daniel, with Deborah, and with King David. Then we have the central figure that's Jesus and then after Jesus, we have characters and people, real people like Peter, John, Priscilla, Paul, Chloe, and Timothy. And we are invited to be a part of this, to be a part of his family, to be a part of his story. That, for us, should be good news. Now again, for us, if we are going to truly understand our part, and this is what Paul is trying to get us to understand, if we are going to understand our part of that story, we need to understand the central figure in that story, which is Jesus. And the word, the, the part that I'd like to start our time out with today is in verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption. Now again, redemption is again one of those churchy words. It's one of those words that we use a lot, but maybe we don't exactly understand what the meaning is. The meaning of that word, we're going to take a look at here in just a second. So, it is, originally the, this letter was written in Greek. So our original manuscript is in Greek, and in Greek, that word for redemption is apolutrosis. It's kind of a fun word, you want to say it with me? Apolutrosis. Good job, we can work on that later. But it literally means to buy back 
or to ransom. To buy back or to ransom. So in him, in Christ, we are bought back or we are ransomed from our sin through his blood. And this serves as a great reminder for those of us in the room who, are been, who are followers of Jesus, who have submitted our lives to him, this is a good reminder that we no longer, that we are re- redeemed, that we are bought back by his blood. That our sins in the past, our sins currently, and the sins in the future, we are free from because of his sacrifice and the fact that he came and paid a price that we could not pay. Now, if you're here today, and this is the, a decision that you have not made yet, If maybe you're here and you're a little bit curious about whether you want to follow Jesus, this is good news for you as well. Because if we're honest, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, we have all made mistakes. We have all, however you want to call it, we've all missed the mark, we've all sinned, we've all done stuff that we're ashamed of, we have all done something that we need redemption from if we are going to be in right relationship with a holy god we needed someone to come and pay the price and jesus did that if we desire to be near to him we need a sacrifice and that plan for god was the person of jesus and so as paul's writing this to the believers when when they hear this idea of blood when they have redemption through the blood they're immediately going to go back to part of the bigger story and part of the bigger story is found in Exodus. And so we're going to go back and read. So if you want to go ahead and start turning there, we will be in Exodus chapter 12. And in Exodus chapter 12, this is the story of God's people that were in slavery to Egypt. And there's been a series of plagues of God trying to free the Israelites from slavery in in Egypt. And through this time, this is the final thing that happens. And this is the way that God protects and sets aside and marks differently his people. So let's go ahead and turn there. Exodus 12, and we are going to start in verse 7. Again, this is part of the bigger story that when God's people would have first heard this, this is where their mind would have went. Exodus 12, verse 7. They, being the Israelites, this is God's instruction, must take some blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of their houses. So what God was instructing them to do was to take blood of a lamb that they sacrificed and put it on the doorpost and the headpost. And if we read on in verse 12, we read why. This is God speaking here again. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord, and I will execute judgment against all of the gods of Egypt. So again, this is is judgment on the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So this is where the Jewish people, the Israelites over years, have came to the tradition of Passover. And it's a reminder that the blood of the lamb that was shared, the blood on the doorpost, served as a distinguishing mark. And as they remember that, they are remembering that the blood is what distinguished them. The blood is what symbolized that they were no longer slaves in Egypt. But for us today, when we put our faith and our hope in the person of Jesus Christ, in his sacrifice, His blood represents and serves as a distinguishing mark for us that we are no longer a slave 
to the sin of our life. We are no longer a slave to the sin of our life, and that is our distinguishing mark. Now, this is done all by grace. In that passage we read that this is done by grace and through God has lavished us with his grace. And grace, by definition, is a gift. It's not something that you can earn and it's not something that I can earn. This is something that God gives us freely that we need to receive. And we read here that he pours it out according to his glorious riches. And when I was preparing this week, the picture that I came, maybe this is helpful for you, maybe it's not. It was helpful for me, so I'm going to share it. One of my favorite cartoons, we're talking about story, one of my favorite cartoons as a kid was DuckTales. If you're not familiar with DuckTales, DuckTales was a show that had Donald Duck, his three nephews, and Uncle Scrooge. And Uncle Scrooge is a billionaire that lives in this city. I forget, something to do with a duck. Duckburg. Duckburg is where it was at. They've since redone it. If you have Disney+, Plus, if you have one of those streaming things, you can go watch it. Highly recommend it. But in this story, what I remember, the picture that came to my mind was in the, in the opening credits, as the music is playing, you have a picture of Scrooge McDuck, and he's going into his uh, safe that he has. That's this huge tower full of gold, gold coins. And he jumps off of his diving board into his gold coins and starts swimming around in all of his riches and throwing them up in the air and just enjoying the fact of all of the money that he has. And the picture that I had in that is that, how, that is how God's grace is for us. That when we are followers of Jesus, that he desires for us to jump off a diving board into his pool and riches of grace. And that's available to us. When we fall short, we know and we can find comfort in the fact that his grace is sufficient, that he is a gift to us, and he has so much that he just wants to pour it out and we can swim in it like Scrooge McDuck swam in his gold coins. And so this week, as you go throughout, and again, as you fall short, remember that God's grace, and maybe have a visual picture of swimming as Scrooge McDuck. I had a shirt that I really wanted to wear, but I didn't think it was appropriate. <laughs> but it's this beautiful picture of if we, when we walk with God, the grace that is available to us is the same like a pool that we can swim in. Translation I like of this passage in Ephesians is in the message version. I just love the way Eugene Peterson translates this for us, gives us a, a clear picture, uses some, some language that maybe we're a little bit familiar with. And I'd like to read verses 9 and 10 to you out of the message because I think it's going to help us where we're going next. He says this. This is Eugene Peterson's translation in Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. He, being God, thought of everything. He provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on his plans that he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, the long-range plan which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in the deepest heaven and everything on planet Earth. He provided everything that we needed. He let us in on his plan that he delighted in making. For me, as I read this, I can hear the joy in Paul's writing and his voice. 
he understands the role that Jesus played and the freedom that's available in a relationship with him. If you're not aware, Paul, before he was an apostle, was a Pharisee, which means that he was one of the church leaders that guarded the teachings of God in the Old Testament. But what had happened over time is the Pharisees became very enthralled and very uh, enthusiastic about the rules. And we need to make sure everyone kept the rules. And Paul was really good at keeping the rules. He was so good at it that he was charged that this little group of people that after Jesus died that started following him, they were known as the way, also known as the early church. As they started doing this, he would go around and he would capture them. He would put them in prison. He would oversee some of their murders because he wanted to make sure that everyone kept the rules. But on a road to Damascus one day, Jesus appeared before him and changed the course of his life. And he experienced a freedom that he had never experienced before. And it propelled him to share this story. And I love how he sums it up to Timothy. So if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, Timothy was a, a, a print, he was like a, a mentee of Paul. And so Paul's writing in this letter, he's a pastor of a church, um, and he's writing him an encouragement, and he's kind of setting some things out. And this is how Paul describes his relationship to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Even though I formerly was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason. For this reason is why he received mercy. So that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience. Let me read that again. Might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example for those who would believe in him and have eternal life. We serve and have the opportunity to serve a God who is extremely patient. And Paul, who saw himself as the worst, the chief of sinners, experienced this mercy and this grace, this freedom. And that is what propelled him. That is what fueled his mission to let other people, you and me today, even for a, a little bit, understand this mercy and grace that is available to us today. The last part of this verse that I'd like to pay attention to is there at the end. Again, we see that Jesus is central to God's plans, plans and purposes here on heaven and also in, I'm sorry, in heaven and here also on earth. Now again, we kind of have a uh, misconstrued perception of what heaven is. Um, the biblical authors, when they thought of heaven, it wasn't the space way up in the clouds like Looney Tunes has given us over the years where there's angels and harps and all these things. That's not how they viewed, that is not how they viewed the space which God inhabited. They, they viewed that as the separate space that was all around us. And there was this thin line that separated earth and heaven. 
And so when Jesus is instructing his disciples on how to pray, when they say pray on earth as it is in heaven, what they're asking to do is for God to do what is happening on, in heaven here on earth and that they would start to blend that thin line in between. One of the best ways to understand this is through um, drawing and understanding through a picture. So this is what I have for us. Um, I've got two circles here, and I'm going to encourage you. Sometimes we learn better when we actually do something, and you've been sitting here looking at me for a while. So let's go ahead, and if you have a piece of paper and a pen, there are pens there. I'd like for us to draw this this morning. So draw one circle, and you can put it ab the writing above or in the middle of it. One of them is earth. That's one space. The other space is heaven. And these are two separate spaces and what we are wanting, and what Paul is saying here, is that there are times, and this is where we truly experience the kingdom of God, when heaven and earth, and earth overlap. Where heaven and earth overlap. And when heaven and earth overlap, that's where we get to see a picture, a glimpse, of what eternity with Jesus is going to be like. And Christ is the one that holds those two worlds together. Now, when Christ comes again, we believe that at the end of time, Christ is going to come again, and a new heaven and a new earth are going to come together, and it's in that space when both of these circles will overlap. But when we're invited into the story of God, we're invited in, into the work that God is doing here on earth and bringing what is happening in heaven into that same space. We're invited to bring the kingdom of God into our workplaces, into our schools, into our neighborhoods, and into our communities. And that is all done in Christ and through Christ, not by our own power. And that is what Paul wants us to start to understand and start to believe that that central figure is Jesus. Now, for our time as we finish up today, this is what I'd like to do. It's a little bit different, but I would encourage you to step out of your comfort zone a little bit. So what I'd like for you to do right now is I'd like for you to close your eyes. Go ahead and close your eyes. Get in a comfortable position. And if you're willing, go ahead and open your hands and lay them on your lap. Palms open as an act of surrender. This is an invitation. This is not mandatory, but I would encourage you if you feel comfortable to do so. And right now, with hands open and eyes closed, go ahead and start reviewing your week. Maybe even your morning. Where are some areas that you fell short? Where are some areas in your life that you missed the mark? Maybe for you this week, you were dishonest. You weren't completely truthful. Maybe for you, you said some words that weren't kind. Maybe they were a little bit gossipy. Maybe you looked at something that was not good for your mind. Or maybe you're like me, and you just had a really full week. And when you have a really full week, you tend to get stressed, and that stress comes out as anger. There are all areas in our lives where we can say, Lord, we have missed the mark this week. So now, as we have those in mind, and we hold them before the Father, the truth is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, and you've accepted 
him as Lord and Savior, you do not have to carry the weight of that sin anymore. But you can experience the freedom because Christ has paid the penalty for that sin. All that God asks you to do is confess it to him and give it over to him. So right now, if you're there, in your mind and in your, in your heart, confess those sins to the Father and thank him for his extraordinary patience. If you're sitting here today and you have yet to make that decision to follow Jesus, that invitation is open to you this morning. You have a loving Father in heaven who sent his son to pay a penalty for you. And you can experience this freedom that I've talked about today, where you no longer have to carry the shame and the guilt of your sin. You can be freed from that slavery. For you, it means that you need to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. So whether you're 75 years old, and you know this is the decision that you've needed to make, or whether you're eight years old and you know that God has been moving in your heart and all you need to do and you need to take this step. After worship today, there will be an opportunity for you to come forward. And I am praying right now as we sit here with hands open that if you feel like the Spirit is moving in your life and you are ready to commit your life to Jesus, surrender your life to him, that you would take that bold step. We will have people up front here that would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus and to take that confession so that you can experience the freedom that is promised in him. Father God, we love you. We are so thankful for your extraordinary patience with us. And we sit here, Lord, and as we've reviewed and thought about the different areas of sin and the places that we have fallen short in life, Lord, we surrender them over to you. We confess them to you now, and we celebrate now that we have the opportunity to experience your freedom. That you had all purposed in Jesus. And so, Father, my prayer right now is this that for those people who know right now that you are moving in their hearts, Father, that they would be bold enough to come forward, bold enough to make a confession, to give you, give you their life, to surrender their life to you. They may not know what that means. There, we have a lifetime and a journey to figure that out, Lord, but it starts with the decision to make you Lord, in life, Lord of our life. And so I pray right now that if there are people here that are feeling that, that as we worship you, Lord, that you would continue to spur them forward and that people would make a decision to experience the freedom that you have promised. Father, you desire to give us the gift of your grace and pour, us, pour it on us, to lavish us with the riches of your grace, Lord. And we sit and we rest in that this morning. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.